You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Freeport is just right. It's a perfect amount of quiet and isolation. The environment is easy to study in. No distractions, just beauty and books. Learn more and apply at wasm.education. W-A-U-S-M dot education. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that is not your history class, with me, your dangerous host, Katie Charlewood, dirty shinner and reader of books. So, we are back, we are back, we are again, bonus episode, uh, because we are going to get through all of these sex tutor queens before the end of this month. So, if you don't know, and you're coming into this blind, it is Women's History Month, and I decided I'm going to discuss all of these sex tutor queens, they're queen consorts, I don't care, where all the sex wives of Henry VIII, they're all getting their own episode. So the more I read into Catherine Howard and the more I researched and it just made me angrier and angrier. Maybe not, maybe angry is the wrong word. Maybe just like frustrated because over the last couple of weeks we've had people trying to gaslight victims. Women have been kidnapped and murdered while walking home. We've been dealing with racially and fetishy motivated crimes against women and it's all been... It's been a lot this month and I'm like, and here's the thing, I'm I'm single now and because that's now, that information is now widely available because you know, my Facebook status changed, um, men now think it's perfectly acceptable to send me unsolicited dick pics through Facebook. I mean, I'm not saying that they should send it in other ways, I'm just saying like, wh- why? Like, unless you're sending me a dick dick, look it up, D-I-K, D-I-K, or a duck pic, which is literally just a picture of a duck. Like, that's funny, right? To an extent. It's just weird. Facebook, like, sometimes I'll add people on Facebook because of my previous job and things like that. And as such, quite a lot of people know me, but sometimes, and it could be someone who I've worked with or something like that, and I'm, I forget people's names all the time, uh, which is really bad when you talk about history. But, um, <laughs> and uh, so, like, people add me and I'm like, hey, okay. And then next thing you know, it's, um what's a good looking woman like you doing single and like this is facebook i can find your mom or your sister or your boss like i can find i'm a millennial on the internet i can find these things and i will retaliate because i if i'm don't ask for it don't send it to me like why anyway but yeah i know i know what you're thinking 
Quit your jibber jabber and fact me. And I will. So let's get into our sources. So we have Catherine Howard, Henry VIII's Slandered Queen by Connor Byrne. The Six Wives of Henry VIII by Antonia Fraser. The Six Lives of Henry VIII by Alison Weir. And Catherine Howard, Henry's Fifth Failure by D. Lawrence Young. And Catherine Howard, A Tudor Conspiracy by Joanna Denny. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? Catherine Howard was born in Lambeth sometime between 1518 and 1524, although we usually go with um, 1523 as the sort of general consensus. So Catherine is one of Lord Edmund Howard's and Joyce Culpepper's six children. And you're thinking, six? That's a lot. Okay. But her mother already had five children by her first husband, Ralph Lee, which made Catherine her mother's 10th child. Catherine's father was one of 20 children. This is a family tree that just takes up the whole page. Like, this is a book. So... Thomas Howard, the second Duke of Norfolk, and Elizabeth Tilney had ten children together, but his mother had three children from her previous marriage to Sir Humphrey Bourchier, and then Thomas Howard had another seven children with Agnes Tilney. So, um, there's a lot of Howards around. <laughs> there's a good few. And because they are aristocracy, you'd think they'd be a bit wealthier, but uh, they're not. Oh, yeah. Catherine Howard was actually Anne Boleyn's cousin. Jane Seymour as well. So back in the 16th century, in the 1500s, it was pretty normal to go send your child to board with someone else. They would go raised by another family and be educated by them. We saw this with Anne Boleyn when she went to Brussels. It was a normal thing. You send your child away, they get educated by someone else. Um, this also builds sort of alliances and friendships. And, and That being said, it was more common with children from larger families. So Catherine's mum, she dies. And around about the time she's 10 years old, she and a bunch of her other siblings are sent to live with Agnes Howard, the her grandfather's second wife. So she's the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. And usually households were pretty small back in the day, especially at the time. It was the end thing to have like a small household. But the Dowager Duchess, who was previously in Catherine of Aragon's household, and she held Anne Boleyn's train at her um, private wedding to Henry VIII. She very much kept in line with how things were back in her day. So it's like more casual about the ages of the people there. And she had over a hundred people underneath all the households she had. Because she had like more than one property. Anyhow, so Catherine and her cousins, they shared the maid's dormitory. And it was very much communal living. So there would be like two or three to a bed, which was very normal for the time. Kind of like a boarding school that wasn't run very well. <laughs> In the girls' dormitory, girls would often bring their sweethearts back. So Catherine Howard, she was bubbly and excitable and giggly. She would be what we would normally expect a teenager to be, a teenage girl especially. She was easily distracted and she would make jokes and she loved animals. Under the tutelage of the Dowager Duchess, who wasn't super into the higher education of women and 
in fairness, Catherine, as far as we know, wasn't really into that kind of thing anyway. She wasn't really into academics. But Catherine got effectively a Christian upbringing, which would make her a good wife for someone who was effectively worthy of marrying into the Howard family. So she learned social graces, um, the basics of household management, obedience and good manners. Another thing she also learned was music. Like at the time, being able to entertain was very, very popular. And Henry VIII and his court, they very much promoted musical skill, as we said in last week's episode. Like learning of musical instruments was very much a done thing. Which leads us to arsehole number one, Henry Mannix. So he is the music teacher employed by the Dowager Duchess to teach the young ladies, well, music, to be blunt. So she was supposed to learn the the virginals, which is kind of like a keyboard instrument, like a piano thing. And so Catherine and Mannix, they always stated that their relationship was never consummated. And she's still, you got to think, at this point, she's still in her early, early teens, at, at least. Uh, like, and I mean early teens. Mannix, but Mannix is believed to have known the secret parts of Catherine's body. So both Catherine and Mannix, they basically state that they had, they did have sexual contact. They just didn't consummate the relationship. She didn't lose her virginity. So Mannix was pressuring her to lose her virginity. And like it made her uncomfortable and she didn't want to go that far. But she felt pressured to let him. And she was mad that he would gossip with the servants about what had gone on between the two of them. And as such, groomed her. And let's just hit the nail on the head. This is grooming. Like, we can't deny that. He was grooming her to allow his sexual advances. And oh, it's disgusting. Catherine herself states that due to his, well, persistence or whatever it was, she felt that she had to let him see and touch the secret parts of her body. So at one point, the Dowager Duchess catches them together. The best information I could get was that it was an embrace, but that could have been the more uh, politically correct term. So the Duchess basically orders that they are never to be left alone. It wasn't the relationship itself that she was bothered by. As far as she was concerned, it wasn't acceptable for a Howard to marry a lowly music teacher. Because in general... The Dowager Duchess would just turn a blind eye when the girls under her care would experiment until they, uh, until they married someone more suitable to their station, being a Howard and all. So the relationship with Mannix basically gets cut off when the Dowager Duchess, she lifts her household and moves it away from, che away from Chesworth House and to Lambeth. The Duchess, she rarely goes to court, but... But her townhouse in Lambeth, it is... It's kind of like a mini court in itself because she was always getting visitors. Which leads us to asshole number two, Francis Derham. <sighs> Francis, fun fact, was like a distant cousin of the Howards and he was a member of the Duke of Norfolk's household. So this is the third Duke of Norfolk. The Duke was Catherine's uncle and Derham quite enjoyed Catherine. Derham was actually, by all accounts, was quite handsome. Some would go as far as to call him dashing. And as far as his, hmm, 
prospects were concerned, he was definitely more befitting of a Howard. Some would even say it's a good match. So Frances becomes a secretary in her grandmother's household between about 1537 and 1539, meaning that this young girl in her early teens becomes sexually exploited by another man. And this is the second time that a man and a power of authority used his position in her household to take advantage of her. And we think of how she was raised. Like in the dormitory, girls would often bring men back and she was very aware of the liaisons that were happening around her and it was very normal. It was normalised. And she had already been groomed via Mannix. So when this comes along, she didn't really have a choice because we were talking about a child here. She's in her early teens, you know? She's still, like, what, 15 or something? And it is so easy to talk about how she had an easy charm and such good nature and how lovely she was, but we're talking about a girl from, like, age 11 or 12 had older men coming into her bedroom. How could she have had a say in that? So Francis Derham, so Francis Derham, he pursues her and they allegedly become lovers. They do admit to some kind of relationship later on, but, and they refer to each other as husband and wife. Like, and he treated her as a wife, like he entrusted her with his money when he was away and, you know, and all these kind of wifely duties. But the relationship ends when Mannix informs the Dowager Duchess. So the Duke of Norfolk decides to dangle a second niece in front of Henry VIII. So Catherine becomes a maid of honour for Anne of Cleves. And while she's at court, uh, she gets to know a cousin, Thomas Culpepper, who is a gentleman of the king's privy chamber, which is like a super big deal. Like, he runs the king's loo. It's a big, it's a big deal. So, so Catherine and Thomas were getting along anyway. And so there was rumblings about Thomas and Catherine getting married because that would be a very, very good match for her because their, their positions were, were quite well aligned. So Catherine becoming a lady-in-waiting was absolutely the Duke's idea. He wanted her there because he wanted her to catch the king's eye. He knew of the king's disapproval of the marriage in general because he, he wanted to pick his own bride anyway. That this would be, and with her being so young, he was like, either way, she's got time to catch his eye. So the more King Henry was interested in Catherine, the, the greater the influence of the House of Norfolk. What a surprise. So Henry is old and losing all of the power and the manliness which he feels that he should have as a king because he's a fucking narcissist. And and he sees this young, bubbly, excitable, like the epitome of youth. He is captivated by it because she represents so much that he has lost. And Catherine is deliberately placed in front of the king in so many instances to grab his attention. Because he's like 50 at this point and she is, you know, a teenager. So within months of her arriving at court, he does what he does with everybody. He's playing the courtly game of love, but he's he has less patience now. So he's skipping through like lots of the steps and he's just constantly sending her gifts and jewels and expensive cloth. After the marriage to Anne of Cleves is annulled, three weeks later, um... The very day he sends Thomas Cronwell to be executed, 
is the day he marries Catherine Howard. The 28th of July, 1540, at Oatlands Palace in Surrey. So the king and Catherine, they have an extended honeymoon. The Howards, they think this will be great for them because there's a lot of them. They're definitely, um, what's the word, uh, fertile. There's a lot of Howards. So, so if Catherine can provide a spare heir, it gives their family power. Henry himself, he is suffering from bouts of impotence and he's got the ulcerated wound in his leg, which is just making it difficult for him to move. He's a big guy. I mean, he was nearly twice the age of Catherine and he was fairly immobile. Uh... Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, in St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. So Catherine is, is pushed into this position where, one, she has to absolutely pretend that she knows nothing about sex. Nothing. And she, a teenage girl, has to deal with Henry's tyrannical nature and his mood swings. And she also has to try and be a stepmother. Except she's, she's younger than Mary Tudor. And she tries to have some sort of relationship with, with Mary. But Mary's like, mm, no, you're a child. This is weird. And because she feels like Mary isn't showing her any respect, she tries to remove two of her attendants. But it does get to the point where the two of them, they at least treat each other um, cordially. Like they're, they're, but she really enjoyed um, Princess Elizabeth and they were supposed to have like got on really well when they were together. She quite liked being with, you know, the, the, the seven-year-old Elizabeth. So while she's at court, she employs girls she'd known at Lambeth to serve her to be part of her household, which... You could say is mistake number one, but maybe she felt safety in numbers. And then she offers the position of private secretary and usher to her chamber to Francis Derham. And all of the Howards, they're hoping to keep this secret. And it's more likely that she offers the position to him to keep him quiet. Many think that he blackmailed her into getting the position. When Catherine and Henry were married for about six months, about six months into the marriage... She would send Thomas Culpepper gifts and she'd meet him in private. Well, I say in private. Lady Rochford was there. Like, she was there. So Catherine is a girl who has an impotent husband and who has been brought up to believe that sex and sexual acts is how one shows affection to one another. Like, that's what you do. And there was the man that she initially wanted to marry, Thomas Culpepper, and so throughout their marriage, Catherine, it seems, was playing the courtly game of love with Thomas Culpepper. 
they never consummated any kind of relationship. They didn't even see each other naked. There was no sexual act there. But Catherine gave him gifts and they would meet in private, which was all arranged by Lady Rochford. Who was Jane Boleyn? Who is the same person who gave um, testimony against her husband, George Boleyn? Yeah, exactly. That resulted in him losing his head. So all in all, Catherine seems to be managing to be like out with this. In public, when she's seen, she's perceived as being a, a good queen. Like, you know, and good manners, polite, she's obedient to the king. So in the summer of 1541, the court embarks on a royal progress to the North Country. And while they're all away, John Lascelles, he goes to visit his sister Mary. He's a courtier, by the way. And he was like, hey, maybe you should apply to be, you know, part of the queen's household. And she's like, oh no. She used to work for the Dowager Duchess. And she was aware of everything that happened and being a gossipy bitch decided to go. She was doing sexy time stuff with Mannix and sexy time stuff with Durham. And she blames Catherine for this. She's like, it's her fault that they, you know, abused her because it's fucking child abuse. Like, it's child abuse. I don't give a fuck. It's child abuse. Fuck you. So she tells her brother that Mannix boasted that he knew Catherine's privates from all others. Derham was so familiar with Catherine before her marriage to the king that he shagged her over a hundred times. And Lascelles is like, oh, I must tell everyone. Because other, because like keeping silent and then someone finding out about it, he could be charged for treason. He tells Archbishop Cranmer and then Cranmer. Cranmer wrote everything down in a letter and left it at the king's pew in his chapel. So on the 1st of November, 1541, the king... Henry gets this letter describing all the allegations against Catherine and he is pissed, but he has no choice but to investigate them all. So the fact that Catherine wasn't pure, so everybody gets, yeah, so basically Mannix gets tortured, Derham gets tortured and, and they both like confess everything and Derham then confesses and then Derham mentions Culpepper who then gets tortured as well. So the king is mad because... He expects his queen to be pure when she comes in. And, which is bad enough because he wants this, you know, particular thing. But according to canon law, because um, Durham and, and Catherine had sex and then they called each other husband and wife, it could be seen, under canon law, this could be seen as, as, as a marriage. You know, but this would have given Henry the opportunity to annul the marriage to Catherine. Yeah, this is a rageful, angry man whose lack of virility makes him an even worse piece of shit. Because if Catherine was already married to Durham, then his marriage to her would be invalid. And because Durham was then employed by Catherine and then had access to her chamber, you know, it was seen that maybe this was their attempt to continue on this relationship, even though Catherine denies that there was any contract of marriage because she didn't want to have sex with him. She didn't consent to it. She basically tells the king, her husband, I was raped. How could I have agreed? And so while Derham is being tortured, he's like, probably an attempt to save his skin, to be honest. Blurts out that the reason that they didn't continue our relationship was because, because she had now started a new relationship with Thomas Culpepper. So Culpepper, if he had just, he hadn't been such a fucking idiot, he might have saved her from the chopping block. And himself, perhaps. But he blames Catherine and Lady Rochford and that, you know, like, Rochford provoked him to love the Queen 
and I know he talks about the gifts and how he met Catherine in private under the watchful eye of Lady Rochford and it's really obvious to everybody that they did not consummate their relationship that it didn't go past words it didn't get that far but the nail in his fucking coffin was that he intended to do ill will towards the queen he intended like he had the intention of fucking her and that those feelings were reciprocated which then brings them under the umbrella of the 1534 treason act so it doesn't matter if Catherine and Culpepper never actually boinked the fact that they both intended to meant that there was an intention to muddy the line of succession Everyone who lived in the Duchess's household, the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk, they get all, anyone who had lived with her, they basically all get, and they're, they're all interrogated about Catherine's past, and all of their stories basically align with one another. And then Lady Jane Rochford, she's basically telling everybody what they want to hear. She's like, oh, they were totally at it. Yep, absolutely. But in the end, it doesn't even matter because Catherine's fate is now sealed. Because with this Treasons Act, it allows Henry to condemn her for presumptive treason because she intended to commit adultery. In November 1541 at Hampton Court Palace, Catherine Howard is arrested. But she breaks from the guards and she fucking legs it. She's like, fuck that for a game of soldiers. She is bolting it in the corridor. She's trying to get to the, the private chapel royal because Henry's at mass. And she is screaming to the king for mercy. But he doesn't respond. Derham and Culpepper, they are tried and condemned to death. Derham is hung, drawn and quartered and Culpepper is beheaded. And both of their heads go on display on pikes at London Bridge. Catherine is removed to Sion House with a small staff. Catherine doesn't actually face a trial. She gets condemned to death by an act of attainder signed by her own husband's hand. And she was innocent of any actual crime. But Henry VIII could have easily annulled the marriage, going, oh, well, technically she was already married to Durham, blah, blah, blah. He could have done that. Instead, he chooses to execute her because he's mad that she wasn't in a pure and honest condition when he married her. And so the night before her execution, Catherine keeps practicing laying her head down on a block. She wants to make sure that she's doing it correctly. And at 9am on Monday the 13th of February in 1542, at the Tower of London, Catherine Howard, fifth wife of Henry VIII, is beheaded. She was somewhere between 17 and 19 years old and she'd only been married to Henry VIII for about 18 months. Catherine Howard, a legend, effectively, that her last words are, I die a queen, but I would rather have died the wife of Culpepper, but no. What she does say is she asks forgiveness for her sins and says that she deserved to die a thousand deaths for betraying the king who had treated her so graciously. And, you know, it's generally the whole, um, I will try and be nice. And Lady Rochford, she's executed immediately um, after on Tower Green. And both bodies are buried in an unmarked grave in the nearby chapel of St. Peter Adventure, where um, Anne and George Boleyn are also buried. And so ends the story of Catherine Howard, fifth wife of Henry VIII. So what did we learn today? We learned that um, in Tudor times, child abuse was absolutely fine. And that grooming someone and abusing them, forcing them into a position is completely okay in those times. And that apparently not much has fucking changed. What is this? Never trust your ex-boyfriends? Um, that Catherine Howard is so much more than the slutty one. 
always portrayed as this empty-headed bimbo and that she is you know and and it's and the blame is quite usually placed on her in, in a lot of ways when it's she is reacting normally to the situation that she is constantly being put in and it fucking bugs me if you liked today's episode feel free to um rate and review on apple Podcasts. five stars please and thank you it just really helps on like the other side of things like i don't care what you say you could say anything in the review it doesn't matter but it just really helps on the business side um, to try and get the podcast promoted and shared a lot more. You can follow on social media. I'm on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook, Who Did What Now Pod. And then I am on Twitter with Who Did What Now PD, which is um because there wasn't enough characters. Oh, if you want to support the podcast in more ways, you can go to patreon.com, Who Did What Now. Um, I've got, and you'll get like bonus content, videos, there'll be bonus episodes coming from next month onwards. Um... There's just, there just hasn't been time this month. Bonus content coming soon. Uh, and loads of stuff there. And there's, you know, all the other kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, welcome. And I hope you have a great time. And um, in personal news, I'm actually pretty excited because I, I have been saving for months, months, I tell you, to get this... Um, play area for my kids it's like a little wendy house but it's on stilts and it's got like a rock climbing bit and a swing and and like a little slide and i am just so excited i'm so happy that my kids are gonna have this to play with and because like we can't go anywhere or do anything and i finally and like i'll be honest with you i always wanted like a tree house or like my own den um and then my kids have it so i'm living vicariously through that but like this this took so much saving since I moved back home and I am so excited so excited for them and I it's so bad that I just can't wait to see the look on their faces so yeah because I'm, I'm picking them up from their dads tomorrow um they were there a little longer this time because I'm a, my wee girl she wasn't feeling well but yeah they're gonna be coming home tomorrow and they're gonna see they're gonna see they're gonna see their new thing and I'm so excited it's the first time in a long time I've been able to do anything for my kids. And with everything going on and the move and them having to deal with living in two separate houses, um, it's been it's been a lot on them. And I'm just happy to give them something that's theirs specifically that they have for themselves. And I think it's just gonna be really, really great. I'm super excited for this whole thing. I'm just I'm just I'm just really fucking excited. And on that note, that is my good news and if you've got anything that you want to share, actually, if there's anything you want to share, if you get any good news or anything that's just making you feel a little bit better in this pandemic-y times, you let me know. I'd love to hear it. And with that, I am going to say adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Goodbye. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify 
and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.